0: Good morning. Good morning. Take your Bible this morning and turn to Romans chapter 5. I just want to say Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas. All right. Christmas is here. We are into the Christmas season. And uh, my, Christmas is my favorite time of year. I don't know about you. I love Christmas. I love everything about Christmas. As a kid, I remember growing up having a lot of fun with all the different Christmas traditions around our house, uh, you know, decorating the Christmas tree, you know, stockings over the fireplace, uh, going a little Clark Griswold on the outside of the house, putting lights up. Uh, you know, all the Christmas movies, all the treats being uh, cooked around Christmas time, you know, all the excitement about the presents under the tree. Growing up, I loved Christmas growing up, you know, even though uh, some of the Christmas traditions, you know, didn't exactly mesh with where we live. You know, I grew up in Jacksonville. And uh, it was always a little strange, most years when you're wearing shorts and t-shirts, you know, and singing, dashing through the snow in a one-horse open sleigh, you know, or singing, uh, you know, wearing your t-shirt and your shorts and singing about Frosty the Snowman, you know, so it didn't mesh exactly, like last time I think I saw a snowman around here was 1989, some of you remember that, when it snowed, and it was a very small snowman, and it didn't last very long, you know, but uh, regardless, I love this time of year, and I I think uh, most of us would uh, say the same thing about Christmas, but it's very, very important, as much as we love Christmas, as much as we love all the things that kind of come along with Christmas and our different traditions and things, it's very, very important that in the middle of all of that, in the middle of all the hustle and bustle, that we work really, really hard as individuals, really hard as disciples, as families, as a church family, to not lose sight of and remember what this season is all about what the Christmas season is meant to do in our lives and that's to focus our hearts attention on the glorious truth that over 2,000 years ago God put on flesh he stepped out of heaven and into the mess of our world a mess we created on a rescue mission right? and that truth is what we want to gather together and celebrate over the next few weeks leading up to Christmas day now Christmas day is on Sunday this year do you realize that and so what we're going to do is we're going to have a service. We will have a 10 o'clock service. No Bible Connect group. We will all meet over in the sanctuary at 10 o'clock. And uh, we will have a service together. It's going to be great. By the way, I th- maybe it's because of Leapy or something. I Googled it. The next time Christmas falls on a Sunday is 2033. Yeah. My son Max will be 18 years old next time we celebrate Christmas on a Sunday. All right. So I said this. They don't miss it. You know, but make plans to be here with us. We'll have our Christmas Eve service. And we'll also have a Christmas Day service as well. But leading up to Christmas Day, we, we want to celebrate what Christmas is all about. Now, something that the church has done for centuries, families have done for centuries, a tradition that they've used to help them focus on the true meaning of Christmas is something called the season of Advent. All right. So uh, maybe you celebrate Christmas in that way involves uh, for many an Advent wreath. And you, for four weeks leading up to Christmas, you have different candles that correspond with different gifts that Jesus, the light of the world, brought into the world uh, when he came. And, and so some of you may celebrate Advent in your home. Uh, maybe you'd light the candles and do all that. Uh, maybe you have an Advent devotional that you read together as a family, which is awesome, right, which is awesome. Um, a lot of us maybe didn't grow up with that tradition. I didn't grow up with that tradition, all right, celebrating the season of Advent, but The word Advent just simply means this, it means a coming, it means a visit, all right? So it's a season of remembering that that Jesus has come into the world, and it's also a season of anticipation of a second coming, that one day is coming again. And there are four traditional Advent themes that are celebrated leading up to... To Christmas, And so we're not going to celebrate, you know, the season of Advent in traditional ways, and we're not going to light candles in our services or anything like that. But w- what we are going to do is we are going to take those four gifts that are celebrated leading up to Christmas, throughout the season of Advent, and we're going to let that outline our study over the next uh, four services that will be together on these next three Sundays uh, and uh, also Christmas Eve night. And what we're going to do is we're going to celebrate the gift of hope, we're going to celebrate the gift of peace, and joy and love, to keep our hearts tethered to the true meaning of Christmas. And we're going to begin this morning by celebrating the first theme, and that's hope. We all need hope this morning. God has created us in a way that we are people who hope. The same way you need air to breathe, and you need food to eat, and you need water to drink, you need Hope. Our souls need hope. We need to understand what the Bible means when it talks about hope, because we throw that word around. When we use it, it usually means something different, right? If we talked about some things we're hoping for, some of you'd say, "Man, I really hope my I, 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 I really hope my team makes it into the playoffs. I, I really, I, or I really hope that my wife's love for Hallmark Christmas movies lessens a little bit this Christmas season. I really, y'all know I was going to say that, right? You know I was going to throw that in there. Maybe maybe it'll be the last. Oh that you save you from any more Hallmark Christmas jokes. I really hope that the gas prices go down soon. I really hope that my kids don't ask for a toy for Christmas that's going to come in like 2,000 pieces and take me 11 days to put together, right? When we use the word hope, what we're basically saying is we're wishing something would happen, and usually it's something that would happen in our favor, all right? But when the Bible talks about hope, it's referring to something that's sure. It's referring to something that's certain. Here's a definition of biblical hope uh, this morning, and you can write it down if you're taking notes. Biblical hope is a confident assurance of a future reality. Biblical hope is a confident assurance of a future reality. And so when the Bible speaks of hope, it's not talking about a wanting or a desiring or a, a wishful thinking. It's not a shot in the dark. Rather, biblical hope is a certainty, it's an assurance that something has come to pass. And it's a hope that something in our future will come to pass. And when you don't have real hope, when you don't have the kind of hope that the Bible says is possible for you to possess, that the Bible would lift up and set up as a real, genuine, glorious hope, that is a miserable place to exist. That's a miserable place to be. And there are a lot of hopeless people in our world. There are a lot of hopeless people in our city. There are a lot of hopeless people in our community. There may be a lot of hopeless people on our church campus this morning. You say, well, what, what, what do you mean mainly when you're talking about a hopelessness, when people are just utterly hopeless, when they have no hope in their life? What do you mean by that? I just want to be straightforward with you this morning. I'm talking about a person who has no relationship with Christ. I'm talking about a person who doesn't have Christ in their life because a person without Christ is a person without true hope. The main reason that that's true the main reason because, uh, that, that a person without Jesus is a person without hope is because that person has specific problems in their life. By the way, problems all of us are born with, but the problems that are impossible for you to resolve on your own. It's the problem of sin and brokenness. Hey, the problem that you got a funeral in your future. You can't, you can't change that fact about your life. The fact that the Bible tells us that all of us one day will stand before a holy God and give an account for our life. And if you haven't encountered a solution to those real problems, then you're in a place of real hopelessness this morning. But if you've surrendered your life to the Lordship of Christ, you have real hope this morning. Amen. And we want to celebrate that hope. All right? We, we want to celebrate that hope. And what I want to do is I want to read a passage that isn't a... Uh, you're not going to read this and. Think of this as a traditional, you know, a common Christmas passage. But I think it's a passage that will help us and remind us of why Jesus Christ came into this world as our ultimate hope. Hey, who can truly anchor us, who can truly save us, who can sustain us, who can satisfy us no matter what life brings our way. Stand with your Bibles open. Romans chapter 5, beginning to read in verse 1. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through Him, we also obtain access by faith into this grace in which we stand and we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame, because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. Would you have a seat as I pray? Father, I pray that You would speak to us through Your Word. I pray that You would protect this room from this man's opinion. I pray that as we open your word, Lord, we know that as we open your word, that with the Spirit in our lives, that with teachable hearts and open spiritual ears and eyes, that we can learn from your word and be changed gloriously for eternity this morning. What an incredible opportunity we have. And so, Lord, I pray that as the word is open, that we would open our hearts and that your Spirit would take your word and that you would change us for your glory. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So I want us to look at three things about this hope that we have in Christ this morning. Three things about this hope that we have in Christ. Number one, and it's things that Christmas really should remind us about, if you really think about it. Number one is this. We have a hope that is anchored in the past. We have a hope that is anchored... In the past. Look again at verse 1. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. And so a little context about the book of Romans. Paul wrote this letter to the Roman church about an issue that was being debated among people in the Roman church. About, And this was the debate. How can a person be truly saved? How is a person truly saved? He begins chapter this chapter, chapter 5, with the word, therefore. As a good Bible student, we've said this several times, it's always good when you see the word therefore to back up and to find out what it's there for. It's a connecting word. all right. So it's connecting this chapter with the arguments that Paul is laying out in chapters 3 and 4, namely that justification is by faith alone. So Paul doesn't want to leave any confusion about how you're made right with God. He's saying salvation is not about works. It's not about performance. It's not about uh, you doing enough good things to make yourself right with God. Salvation isn't about me cleaning myself up or me trying to be the best version of myself. It has nothing to do with my efforts. What Paul is saying in that verse is we're made right with God only because of who Jesus is and only because of what Jesus has done for us. It's only through faith in Jesus Christ alone and His perfect work that was accomplished on the cross that you can be saved. And notice he uses the word justified. It's a past tense word right there. We're not going to do a deep dive study into the word justified this morning. But at a basic level, this is what he's pointing out right here, using this in a past tense way. He's saying that if you've placed your faith in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, that your salvation has been fully accomplished. In other words, salvation is a past reality in the life of a believer. And it's not something that you're continuously striving for. Your salvation in Christ Jesus, if you place the weight of your faith on the finished work of Jesus Christ on the cross, is not something you're working to maintain. When we put our faith in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, we're saved. It's done. Our salvation is secured. And then Paul goes on to say right there in that verse that because we've now been saved by faith, that we have peace with God. Now, think about that. In order for us to experience peace with God, it means at one point we were all enemies of God. We were all at enmity with God. A problem that we can trace back to the first few pages of Scripture. It's a problem that we inherited from our first parents, Adam and Eve. But it's a problem that from the moment the problem existed, God promised to solve it. Listen to what God's Word says in Genesis chapter 3, verses 14 and 15. So Adam and Eve, they sin, they've been tempted by the devil in the form of a serpent to turn away from God. And this is what God says over the serpent. It says, And the Lord God said to the serpent, Because you have done this, cursed are you above all livestock and above all beasts of the field. On your belly you shall go, and dust you shall eat all the days of your life. I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. Alright, so if you've ever wondered why Indiana Jones and uh, you both hate snakes, there's why right there, okay? Amen. I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. Now that word bruised right there it can be translated crushed. If you're reading it in a different translation, it may even say that. It may say, he will crush your head. God saying that about the seed of the woman, the offspring of the woman, that this offspring, that the seed of the woman is going to crush the serpent's head. What does that mean? Here's what it means. Right after sin is entering into the world, what God is doing is He's making a promise that one day a descendant of Adam and Eve would enter into the world as a human being, would grow up, and will crush the head of this serpent. That's the first promise of Christmas right there in Scripture. And so here's what I want you to understand this morning. So some of y'all are looking at me like, this is a Christmas message? This doesn't feel very Christmassy this morning. Oh, it's very Christmassy. All right? Because... This is what I want you to understand that that when Jesus comes into this world and He's born and He's wrapped in the swaddling clothes right, and they lay Him in a manger and the cattle are lowing and the angels are singing and the star is shining bright and the wise men are traveling to see Him, what's really happening in that moment is a head crusher just came into the world. A head crushing descendant of the first sinners Adam and Eve has come into the world to do one thing on one mission, and that's to save and forgive and restore and to heal sinners by obliterating the power of sin and death and Satan. That is what Christmas is about. Amen. You say, wait, I thought Christmas was about like fuzzy feelings and like drinking hot chocolate by a fire, chestnuts rusting over an open fire and, and watching Christmas Store on repeat or, or the elf, uh, you know, and, and opening presents and wearing ugly sweaters to Christmas parties, right? I'm not getting scroogey to this. Do that. That's fun stuff. Nothing wrong with that but none of those things make no mistake are really what the christmas season is all about the christmas season is about celebrating hope because the savior who was promised since ancient times has come the one who was promised about genesis 12 as the one who would come through the line of abraham and through all the fam- all the families of the earth would be blessed The one Genesis 49 said would come to the line of Judah. The one that God said in 2 Samuel would come to the line of David and would reign as a better king over a better kingdom. The one Isaiah 7 said would be born of a virgin and would come and be called Emmanuel, God with us. The one Isaiah 53 prophesied would be rejected by men and pierced and crushed by God the Father. We celebrate hope at Christmas because the one, the deliverer that the entire Old Testament pointed the nation of Israel to, the one they hoped for, the one they longed for in their mess and their unfaithfulness one cold night in Bethlehem he was born and laying there in that manger was a head crushing deliverer who came to destroy the power of sin and Satan and to liberate and to restore and to heal and to save not just the nation of Israel but anyone he came to bless families of all nations of all the earth of anyone who would trust in Him as their personal Lord and Savior. That's what Christmas is all about. It's about a savior in that manger who came to accomplish the work that Paul's celebrating in Romans chapter 5. That though we were at enmity with God in our sin and we were powerless and hopeless to do anything about it, that God didn't leave us in that hopeless place. That the Son of God came, that Jesus advented, that he put on flesh so that his life through his life and through his death and through his resurrection, a sinful and separated people like us could be made right with God. And if you're in Christ today, you have an unshakable hope that's rooted in the past, that's rooted in what he did on the cross. You have an unshakable hope because you've been made right with God through faith in Jesus Christ. You don't have to search through this world for hope this morning. Hope came to us, hope came into this world. That's what Christmas is all about hope of our salvation is rooted and anchored in what our Savior grew up to accomplish 2,000 years ago. So we have a hope that's anchored in the past, but we also have a hope that is also a hope that's anticipating the future. All right, Verse 2 says, Through him we've obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand. So right there what Paul's doing is he's reminding us that not only have we been saved, but now we have access... To God, And it's an eternal access to God as our heavenly father, right? It's an unlimited access that we have to God. But what I want us to do is I want us to dial into that phrase at the end of that verse when he says, and we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Now, what is the hope of the glory of God right there that we rejoice in that Paul's talking about? It's the truth and the promise that one day in Christ we will be glorified. That one day we will exist in a place and in a kingdom that God has made new. That one day all things will be made new. That's, it's pointing us to a future reality for us as Christians. That one day Christ will return. So Christmas is about celebrating the glorious hope of Christ's return. So when you look at that manger, when you see the nativity scenes around your home, when you see nativity scenes around your the community, And uh, when you think about the baby in the manger, it's important that we should not only see there a king who left his throne and came to crush the head of a serpent, but he's also a king who rose from the dead, who ascended to the right hand of the Father, and who one day is coming again to set up his kingdom. Now, the big question is this, how's that going to happen? We could spend a lot of time talking about that. When is it going to happen? How will he come back? There are a lot of different opinions when it comes to that, right? And it's good, it's good to study that and do the charts and study, figure out where you're at, eschatologically speaking, which is a big word that just talks about end times. And we love to talk about that. We love to debate about that. People love to, to wrangle about that, right? And to study the word about it. That's good, right? You, you, it's good to study that. It's, it's very interesting. It's something that the word of God talks about. It is something that I would really encourage you to have a conviction about rooted in Scripture. Okay? I would encourage you to maybe not base everything that you believe about the end times on like the Left Behind series or Kirk Cameron. I really would encourage you to get into the Word and to really study it yourself. You say, well, where, where do you stand, all right? Now, personally, where I'm at, because I'll, I'll show you all my cards, I'm a pre-tribulation, pre-millennial guy. That's where I stand, all right? Some of you amen that. Some of you are like, I got some questions about that. Some of you maybe hold a little bit of a different opinion with that, right? And, and that's, that's okay, right? We don't have to break fellowship over that if we see things a little differently when it comes to how everything's going to unfold in the end times, right? And we could look at those things and we could debate about those things and we could get out the charts and we could go back and forth about those things. But let me give you something to think about this morning. That the Jews in the Old Testament, that they had their own prophecies that gave them information about the first coming of Jesus, didn't they? And today we have prophecies about the second coming, the second advent of Jesus. They, they don't really tell us everything that, that we want to know, but they do tell us some things. And they tell us the main thing. And the main thing is that He's coming back. That's right, right. The main thing is that Jesus will return. The one thing that the Old Testament Jewish priests and rabbis were correct about when it comes to the first coming of the Messiah is that He came. Right. That the Messiah is coming. And so, even with all the prophecies, with all the you know, they have all kind of all the mysteries and, and stuff that surround the the, the things that we're given and, and we're we're trying to seek after what the details, trying to fill in the blanks. We can actually learn a lot from the fact that hey, they they sought to understand the prophecies. They actually got a lot of the details wrong. There was a lot of mystery surrounding a lot of it. But what they got right was that he was coming. And so there's probably we're probably in a very similar boat. That there are things that God has revealed to us. There's some disagreement we're probably going to have with people who also are in, a fe- in fellowship with Christ so we don't have to break fellowship with over this issue. But there's one thing we know for sure, and this is a break fellowship issue. This is the one thing we know for sure. Jesus is coming back. Yes, is. That the king will return. Now, some of you are skeptical about that. You're like, man, hadn't like they been saying that for 2,000 years about Jesus? Like, haven't people been, like, Christians been talking about, like, Jesus is going to come soon for 2,000 years? Have, weren't the, I, maybe you even know a little bit about the Bible. Didn't the disciples think that he was going to come, like, very, very soon within their lifetime? Well, you're right about that. But they were human, seeing things from their perspective. But the Bible warns us about going down the path that you're going down there when you talk about time, because Peter says uh, in, in 1 Peter, he says, one day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years is like a day. So you know what that means? It means that it's been 2,000 years for us since Christ ascended into heaven, but it's been two days for God. It's been two days from the perspective of heaven. And you need to continue to read what Peter says right after he says that. He says, The Lord is not slow to fulfill His promise, as some count slowness, but is patient towards you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. You want to know why it's taken so long for Jesus to come back? You want to know why the sky hasn't ripped open and the king has returned? Because he's being patient. Because he wants to give people time to believe. This morning, because he wants to give you a moment this morning to believe, to believe his word, to believe his promises, to place your hope in him. But make no mistake, one day he will return. One day He will return, and as a believer, there should be an anticipation in me for that day. The day we long for that as believers. The day that we'll be resurrected, the day that we will be resurrected in glorified, resurrected bodies, when we will exist, when we will serve God, when we will worship God in the uncollapsible kingdom that He's going to come and set up, that will never fall, that will never fail. A place in which we will worship Him freely and fully, free of sin, free of disease, free of sickness, free of hospitals, free of doctor's appointments, free of death, free of suffering, free of the presence and penalty and power of sin. This is the message of Christianity. This is the message of Christmas. That the king who was promised has come into the world, has crushed the head of Satan, and one day will come again. There's this pressure on a pastor to every time we get around Christmas time to kind of come up with a new creative and cute way to say the Christmas story. Because everybody's heard it. You're familiar with it. And even, like, if you weren't raised in church, like, you heard about Santa Claus and probably mixed in with all the things that you heard about in, like, secular Christmas tradition, you somewhere in there you heard about Jesus and the Nativity or probably saw a play. And it's like, how do we come in this moment? There's this pressure as a pastor to come up with something new. Like, maybe, oh, maybe we need to, like, do the... Let's do a, a Christmas according to the star from the star's perspective up in the sky or Christmas from the angel's perspective or come Christmas morning and we'll give you Christmas from the donkey's perspective. And I just, you know, as I was studying this week, I was like, no, Christmas is a simple story that should floor us every time we come back to it. And it's simple. It's the truth that the king who was promised stepped out of heaven. That baby in that manger was a head crusher, went to the cross, crushed the head of the serpent, rose from the dead, ascended to the right hand of the father and will one day come again. That's what's ahead for us if we're in Christ. Very hopeful. We have a future hope of glory that's secure through our faith in Jesus Christ. Amen. And we should anticipate that we should it should fill our hearts with joy and anticipation and hope. So every Christmas Eve, we go to my mom's house for like a Christmas, dad's house for a Christmas Eve party. So after the Christmas Eve service here we always go over there and it's a lot of fun. It's some of our favorite food of the year, big spread of great just food and uh, they're, uh, my dad, you know, decks out the golf cart that he likes to drive the kids around the neighborhood on. All the cousins are over there with lights and, uh, you know, it's Christmas music and, and they love, the kids love hanging out with their cousins. They may get a little present here or there and they love it. But you know, it's, it's amazing. Every Christmas Eve, when I say, Emma, Benson and Max, it's time to go. We got to go home. They've, every Christmas Eve, they've never pitched a fit. They've never said, no, no, we don't want to leave. No, we want to stay here. Not once have they done that. You know, usually have to drag them out of Grandma and Grandpa's house, right? They love staying. They love hanging out with their cousins. But it's not on Christmas Eve. They're super obedient. They're super joyful. They skip to the car. There's no resistance. And you say, well, why is that? Because they know Christmas is coming. They know Christmas morning is coming. They know after Christmas Eve comes Christmas Day and on Christmas day it doesn 't matter what kind of little gifts they 've gotten. that 's when they 're going to get the big gifts that 's going to get the greatest gifts that 's going to get the one they 're going to get the ones they 've been thinking about and dreaming about so they've got no problem going home and going to sleep because there 's a great level of anticipation in their life that 's pulling them forward to our home there's a great level of hope, of real hope in their heart that is sure and that is certain that Christmas is tomorrow. And just like they can know and trust that they'll receive the best gifts every Christmas morning church, we can too hope and anticipate in the future glory that is ours in Jesus Christ that Jesus is coming back and because Jesus is coming back and that's my great hope my glorious hope for my future we don't have to wonder if I'm going to be in heaven we don't have to wonder will I spend eternity with Christ we don't have to worry about tomorrow because our future is bright and secure in Christ there, that is a hope you can stand on this morning in Christ it's not wishful thinking we have a true and everlasting hope we have hope that rooted in the past We have a secure hope that anticipates the future. But we also, number three, we have a present and living hope for today. We have a hope that's available in the present. Look at verses three through five. And I want to draw this out of these verses. More than that, we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope, and hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been what given to us So what Paul's saying right here in these final verses is that when it comes to our daily living as Christians in the right now, in the present, in this broken world, in a world that's filled with trials, in a world that's filled with broken dreams, in a world that's, that's filled with storms, that we have a secure anchor that will hold you sure and will hold you steady no matter how great the storms of life become. You say, what is that? It's the hope and it's the belief that As a son of God, or as a daughter of God, we've been adopted, and we have a heavenly Father who's working through everything in our life. In the hard times, in the good times. In the easy times, in the bad times. In the seasons of suffering, in the seasons of celebration, He's working in all of it, doing what? We trust that He's using all of it to make us more like Jesus, to grow us up in our faith. That's a present hope that we have in Christ. In verse 5 it says, Because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit, who has been given to us, that is good news for us this morning. We have a living and an active hope that God saved us, That one day he'll glorify us, and right here in the present, he has placed his spirit inside of us to walk with us through this life and to be Emmanuel in our life, to be God with us, and to work in us, and to minister to us personally through his different attributes. God is, he's Emmanuel, he's God with us in that baby, in that manger grew up and went to the cross and rose from the dead, ascended to the right hand of the Father. One day He'll come again, but in the meantime He has sent a helper. He has sent His Holy Spirit through which we get to experience a real, vibrant, soul-satisfying relationship with God as we daily walk in fellowship with Him. And he ministers to us through who he is, through his attributes. One of my favorite Christmas passages that kind of defines some of who he is and who he is in our life is Isaiah chapter 9. In his first seven verses, what does Isaiah say? He says, in Christ you have a wonderful counselor this morning. No matter what you're going through in Christ, the presence of the Holy Spirit is in your life. And you get to experience the ministry of a wonderful counselor in your life. No matter what you're going through, there's nothing you're going through that he can't empathize with you about. He's present in your life, willing to minister to you as you bring struggles and questions and confusion to him. You have, it says, Isaiah says in verse 6 there, he's a mighty God, he's an everlasting father. That's one of our favorite titles in that kind of batch of attributes and titles for God. An everlasting father. It's a 2 twofold revelation. What everlasting father is saying there is that he's a God who inhabits and possesses eternity with all authority. And at the same time, he's a benevolent God who passionately pursues and protects and provides for and is compassionate towards his kids. You have a hope in the present. Isaiah then calls him the prince of peace. That you have... A God who will minister to you in the moment and will fill your life with a peace that passes all understanding. A peace, a peace that soothes a weary soul. We have a living and active hope in Christ. He's God with us, He's for us, He's actively working things for good, for our good, and for His glory. He's unfolding His perfect plan in our life. That's a, that's a living hope, that's a present hope that we live with. It's a hope that as I press into my relationship with him, that I'll more and more experience that soul-satisfying fellowship that's available in that relationship. Hey, that satisfies every longing of my soul. So in Christ, let's review. We have not only a hope that's rooted in the past, we have not only a hope that anticipates the future, we have a hope that's available to us in the present. But that's only true if you're in Christ. It's only true if you have a relationship with Christ. So if you don't have a relationship with Christ this morning, let me ask you this. What do you put your hope in? You put it in something. What have you placed your hope in? If it's not in Christ, I want to make a bold statement that's a biblical statement. And it's this. If you're not placing your hope in Christ, whatever you're placing your hope in is a weak and absurd place to place your hope. And so many people in this world and maybe even in this crowd this morning, you have not placed your faith, you've not put your hope in Christ. And you're putting your hope in things and in people and relationships that cannot sustain you. People put their hope in a variety of things. They put their hope in their stuff. They put their hope in their accomplishments. They put hope in their success. They put hope in their career. They put hope in their help. They put hope in other people's opinions of themselves. They put their hope in their kids. If you don't think that's true, just go to some little league park next weekend and just look around. It's on full display. You go to to any park, any kid's sport, any youth sport, and you look around, and what you're going to find, as it's been said, is you're going to find a bunch of less than average athletic dads putting all their hopes in their less than average athletic kids, hoping that their kids will help live out their athletic dreams that they were never able to live out on their own. Heaping pressure on that child to do something that child was never meant to do. To heap a pressure on that child that it was never meant to sustain. People put hope in their health. People put hope in what they look like. I want you to know that those are weak and vulnerable places to put your hope this morning. I want you to just lean in and listen to this. You say, what do you mean? Because here's why. Here's why those are weak and vulnerable places to put your hope. Because you can put your hope in your job and it's only going to take here in a few words if that's where your hope's at. Hey, we're letting you go for your hopes to be crushed. You can put your hope in your finances but all it's going to take is a financial advisor calling you after the stock market crashes and say, hey, you lost half of your retirement for your hopes to be crushed. You can hope in your health and it just it'll take three words if your hope is all there. Hey, from a doctor, you have cancer for your hopes to be crushed. You can put all your hope in how you look. Hey, but listen, time and gravity are enemies you ain't going to beat. It's just true. You try that. Listen, your hopes will be crushed. You can build your world revolving around your kids and put hope in them and put a pressure on them that they were never meant to bear. And you can hope in your kids. What are you going to do one day if, God forbid, something tragic happened to them? What are you going to do if they decide to go out and do things that just absolutely embarrasses you and breaks your heart? What are you going to do? I'll tell you what will happen is your hopes will be crushed. And you say, why are we rocked and crushed when those things happen? It's because none of those things are things that we were meant to hope in. But what the Word of God can do this morning is it can point you to the only legitimate place to put your hope in this hopeless world, and that's Christ. Amen. Who can truly save your soul, who can truly secure you, who can truly sustain you, who can truly satisfy you no matter what life brings. He's the one who will never let you down. Amen. All the other things in life you hope in, and you know this is true, but you, we just keep going back to it, will disappoint you. Jesus will not. He brings you into a lifelong, eternity-long, soul-satisfying fellowship with Him. And this morning, if you don't know Christ, I want to invite you to step into a relationship with Him. To look back on the pages of Scripture and to see that baby that was laid in that manger. Not as some fable, some fictional story that begins in a galaxy far, far away or once upon a time, but from a historical perspective account that we read in the gospels of this jesus this baby who was laid in this manger but was not a mere human was a hundred percent man and a hundred percent god it was god putting on flesh the second person of the trinity the son of god stepping out of heaven becoming a human but maintaining his divinity and living the sinless life we can't live as a human being and then dying the sacrifice on the cross absorbing the wrath of god that we deserved And then being laid in a borrowed tomb and defeating the enemy you can't defeat. you got a funeral in your future. He defeated that enemy you can't defeat. And He ascended to the right hand of the Father and extends His saving grace and mercy to all who look back at what He did and believe that it counts for you and trust that only through trusting in Him as your Savior and Lord can you be saved. And you have an opportunity to do that today. Believer, let me ask you with the final minute I have this morning, what are you putting your hope in today now, stop right there because yeah, I'm, you know we 're all church people right, and we know we know the right answer to that question right i know that I know the answer to that 's Jesus wait, wait that 's usually the right answer to most questions in church right it 's like the little boy in Sunday school class who teacher said, now, class, what is, is brown and, and furry, has a fluffy tail, and eats acorns and climbs trees? And the little boy said, well, it sounds like a squirrel, but I'm going with Jesus. My final answer, Jesus. <laughs> when I ask you, what are you putting your hope in today? Hey, we know the right answer is Jesus. My question is, is that really true in your life? Because here's what happens as we come to Jesus... Our hearts experience this glorious hope that Jesus gives us, the glorious hope that Jesus brings into the world and brings, kind of crashing into our life, but then our flesh is so prone to quickly wander back out into the world to those things that we know can't satisfy us, and we put our hope back into those things, those broken things, those lesser things. I'll tell you what do, you can do. When you go out, it's out into our concourse after church is done here in a second. You're going to see a, some babies and toddlers, and they're all going to be kind of running around. And I want you to notice something about them. When they begin to crawl, when they begin to walk, they're professional wanderers, drifters. Whether they're crawling or whether they're walking, they love to wander. And you know what's interesting is they don't usually wander to safe places, it's usually to dangerous places. So what are the moms and dads going to be doing out here? They're going to be running and picking them up. No, so come here, come here. You're going to get them. They go to sharp objects. They try to, like to go uh, to, the, to the road. They like to go to electrical outlets. They, they like to go to dangerous places. They're going to pick them up. No, come over here. And what they're doing is they're putting them close to themselves. This is a safer place for you to be. And what are they going to do? The minute you put them down, off they go. Back out towards danger. When you go out there, I want you to think about this. Is, is our hope not prone to do the same thing? Even after we come to Christ to to be drawn to and prone to wander back to these weak, pitiful places that we know can't satisfy us or sustain us, and we find ourselves—maybe you're there this morning—you start looking, you start looking for your hope in that relationship again, a human relationship. You start looking for a spouse to give you the acceptance and approval that that spouse—it was never meant to give you—that you find that in Jesus. And for some of you, you need to stop. Looking for hope in relationship. And you need to crawl back to Christ. You need to crawl back to Jesus. You need to run back to Jesus. And remember you've been adopted by the king. Who loves you and values you. And has adopted you into his family. And he'll never let you down. Nobody in this world will treat you that way. Maybe you've crawled back to success or achievement. Or to the things of this world. Sins that you're indulging in. Trying to quench An appetite that you know this world can't quench. We know what that's like. We just went through Thanksgiving, and many of you are like me. I went, I went ham. I went pretty hard on Thanksgiving, right? I ate a lot, and there you are at Thanksgiving lunch, loading yourself. You go back for round two, maybe round three, and then what happens? You go over to the couch and you put on your sweatpants or whatever, and you just you veg out, and you say, "I don't ever want to eat again. I'm completely full." Right, I think I'll be fine for the rest of the day. I might be fine for two days. And then you don't get halfway through the football game that afternoon and you're wandering back into the kitchen, opening the refrigerator, looking looking for the leftovers. Hey, and so it is with our fleshly appetite. Thinking that that next plate of sin is going to bring satisfaction to your soul that it can't. And some of us need to turn our back on that once again and crawl back to Jesus who is our all-sufficient Savior, How many of you would say, I put my hope in Jesus long ago. But if I'm honest, I've crawled to some other places. I've drifted to some other places and hoped in some things that I know can't sustain me and can't satisfy me. If that's you, what I want you to do this morning, I want you to get intentional about this. I want you to identify what that is in your mind. I want you to see it. I want you to even in your heart, I want you to say what it is. I want you to confess it to God as a misplaced hope in your life. Could be success. Could be the opinions of other people. Could be worldly pleasure. Could be the temporary things of this world. Could be your plans and your agenda for your life that you've hoped in. Could be your family or your marriage or your kids or your finances, things that you've called back to looking for fulfillment that you're only going to find in Christ. I want us to confess it today. And then I want us to, if the Spirit's moving in your life, to pray, God, I want to anchor my heart once again today where I know true hope is found. And that's in the person, in the work of Jesus Christ. Nowhere else. Nowhere else. You are my hope. You are my living hope. Aren't you grateful this Christmas that we don't have to go around in the world looking for hope? Hope came to us. Let's pray.